Take out your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. I almost said chapter 11, but not chapter 11. Luke chapter 17, we are looking at four life lessons that Dr. Luke gives us here from the teaching of Christ. Last time we saw the first three, forgiveness, faith, thankfulness, and preparedness. And we looked at faith and forgiveness as he gives us the faith to be able to forgive. As Jesus prescribes here, um, pretty heavy forgiveness that is required of us seven times in a day. And the disciples said, well, you're going to have to increase our faith to be able to do that. And so today we want to skip all the way down to the end of this chapter, verse number 20. And we're going to look at what he teaches us about preparedness. What a wonderful passage of Scripture this is. I want to begin just reading in verse number 20. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God shall come, he answered them saying, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. And we'll read the rest as we work our way through the passage. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for time together in your word this morning with the church. We ask for your blessing upon this time. We ask you would remove distractions, tune us in, with your Holy Spirit this morning, that he may illuminate these scriptures to us. Lord, we thank you that we have scripture alone for our basis of our faith. Lord, we thank you that we are saved through Christ alone. So we've been studying in our Bible study time. And fathers, we come to this time of the preaching and the reading of the scriptures. We pray that your will be done and that your Holy Spirit would do the work. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the Pharisees asked Jesus here in verse number 20, when is the kingdom coming? And he answered them and he said to them, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation. And he goes on then to give some instructions on being prepared for when the kingdom would come. Because the Jews entertained hope of a kingdom which would be ushered in with great power and great glory. They looked for outward signs, and they looked for great political upheavals. Well, Jesus tells them that God's kingdom is not coming in ways that can be observed. Just let that one sink in for a minute. There's this this premise in the Psalms, S-E-L-A-H. How do you say that word? Yeah, I always get it wrong, so I was going to let you guys pronounce it. Selah. And that means stop and pause and ponder what you just read. Well, Jesus is clear here. The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. I'm just giving it to you for a few more seconds there before you, uh, you know, want to give me 88 reasons or whatever it is that you might want to come up with about the return of Christ or the kingdom of God. What is Jesus saying here? The kingdom, Jesus, he was right there with them right then. Who is the rightful king of Israel? Jesus is the rightful king of Israel. Who were they waiting for? The rightful king of Israel. Now here we we get sidelined. Why were they waiting for the rightful king of Israel? For an eternal kingdom? No, just to get these Romans out of our hair. Now we, we dealt with Solus Christus this morning. Last week we dealt with Sola Scriptura, and we kind of carried over a little bit of that this morning. But the idea being traditions of men should never overtake biblical inspired Scripture. Well, here we see a big issue with Old Covenant saints. They let the traditions of men really get in the way 
As we talk about preparedness this morning, I want you to be careful that you don't get into the weeds of eschatology to the point that you miss the application from what Jesus is teaching here. In the timeline of the Bible, what did the people, Jesus' audience that he's speaking to right here, right now, not have information about that you do? The entire revelation, Christ's revelation given to John, they didn't have this. So they didn't have a dispensation, they didn't have a timeline, they didn't have a, this happens and then this happens and this happens. All they know is they asked Jesus, when will the kingdom come? And Jesus' answer is, it won't be, the kingdom is not observable, meaning don't be looking for it. It's right here with you right now. Wherever the king is, that's where his kingdom is. Wherever the king is, that's where there's sovereignty. The kingdom of God is the rule of God. And Jesus, God the Son in the flesh, was right there with them in that moment. A theologian named Grams Goldworthy has put this very well, and this is often used when defining what is the kingdom of God. It is God's people in God's place under God's rule. Now I understand we, we can distinguish between that and a millennial kingdom. But what I'm talking about here is the the Pharisees ask. And I commend them on this question because we too often will ask. Because sometimes we can't help but wonder, when will the kingdom ever come? Peter wrote about in the last days how there would be scoffers. They say, where's the promise of his coming? You guys are living under the idea of this false promise. And where is he? Where is it? When's it going to happen? I get that way sometimes. You wander through the weary old world that we're in with all of the disappointment, with all of the decay. We begin to wonder, God, when are you going to make everything right? Deep down, we know we were made to live somewhere free from pain, somewhere free from sorrow, somewhere free from death. We long for a better place. We long for a place where justice is done, And God reigns supreme where his people have peace and his people have joy. We do, right? Is this what we long for? Oh, this is what I long for. I'm not, boy, oh boy, I am not trying to get in, you know, build or be a part of the perfect church. Here on this earth, I enjoy the gathering of the church. What a wonderful thing the church is. But do you you get the purpose of corporate gatherings for worship? They are not so that we long for this for the rest of all of time and eternity. This should just be a precursor to what kingdom is going to be like someday. We're gathered together with all of the true church and we live in this community of kingdom living. No more sin, no more curse, no more death. All things made new. Back to Eden. Well, corporate gatherings should just kind of wet our whistle toward wanting more of that. Somebody was telling me that yesterday down in Hickman County, of all places, finally found out something good about Hickman County. They have a um, banana pudding festival. Anybody that went to this yesterday? Well, I heard about this, and in the moment, I just wanted to drop everything and run. (laughs) Could never get to Hickman County so quick. You pay a fee, and you go in, and there's all of this banana pudding, and for this one fee, I think it's $5, you can eat any of as much, or you can taste all of the banana puddings. And I thought about that later as the day went on, and I said, I don't know, that could be torturous. Just one taste? What if one was really good, 
and I wanted more, and I couldn't get more of it. That's what Sunday morning should be like for the church. I want more of this. I think the Pharisees were right in their question. I think they meant, well, <laughs> all right, if you're rabbi, if you are who you claim to be, then tell us, when will the kingdom come? But often our dreams are dashed. We're afraid of the future. Evil seems to triumph. Righteousness seems irrelevant. And so we, too, ask the same question. When will the kingdom come? Jesus begins addressing this. He talks about rumors in verse 22, 23, 24. I didn't give you verse 21. Neither shall they say, lo here or lo there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. What does Jesus mean by that? The kingdom of God is within you. He means it's right here with you right now. Because wherever the king is, there will be the kingdom. Verse 22, he said unto his disciples, The days will come when you shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man. You shall not see it. And they shall say to you, See here or see there. Go not after them, nor follow them. For as the lightning that lighteneth out of the one part under heaven shineth unto the other part under the heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. So Jesus addressed here the kingdom as current to the Pharisees. But then as he speaks to his disciples, he speaks of things that are yet to come. So we understand this as New Covenant saints in the modern era with with the whole Bible. He has come. What do we call that? The first advent. He has come. We call that his birth. We, We call it Christmas. We call it a lot of different things. But the first advent, he has come. With that, we understand the timeline to be, he will come again. And that's a doctrinal confession. He has come, he will come again. First advent, second advent. So what about the time in between? And this is the the instruction that he's given to his disciples here. He has come, he will come again, and now there is this time in between. His disciples would miss him. They would long for time together with him as they are experiencing now as he's with them face to face. And Jesus warns them here that false prophets would be trying to point to his coming. They would be those who would say, see here, see there, verse 21. He says, these will just be rumors. And you need to ignore these rumors. Why? Because you're not going to have to guess if it's Jesus when he returns. His return, he says, will be as evident as lightning during the night that flashes across the sky, clearly visible to everybody. Anybody here ever been struck by lightning? No. (laughs) Kind of a rarity. But you've been around some lightning. You've been near some lightning storms. It lights up the sky. It can bring fear into your midst. Why? Because it's such a thing. It's obvious. Jesus says here, This is what the return will be like. Evident as lightning in the sky. Cyril of Alexandria, one of our ancient church fathers, wrote, At the end time of the world, he will not descend from heaven obscurely or secretly, but with God-like glory. You believe that's how he will come back? For sure. God-like glory. R.C. Sproul put it like this. He said, In the glory of the final consummation, and manifestation of the kingship of Christ, when the veil will be removed from his identity and every eye shall behold his glory as the king of kings, we won't need a press report. (laughs) I believe the press will be trying to report something. 
I don't know what it's going to be. Aliens from Mars, I don't know what they're going to be saying. But when the true king comes, oh, I wasn't going to do this, but let's do this. Revelation 19. I'm up against a time crunch a little bit because we're going to take the Lord's table here as we end our service, but man. Verse 11, just to kind of tell you a clue what it's going to be like. Pretty good description here. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Is that causing the amen to sound among his people again? We sang that this morning. Oh, it makes me want to shout amen to think about this glorious day. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Now I'm just going to give you some chance theology here. I don't like horses and I don't like to ride horses. I'm convinced that not everybody's going to have to ride a horse in the millennial kingdom. When the Lord returns, not because of uh, any Bible that I found, but just because I don't want to. So that's called convenient theology. There's a lot of that floating around the world these days. I'm just as guilty. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. What is what is John being? What's being revealed to John here? What's being described? Who is this? This is a conquering king. What does he have coming out of his mouth? What does he have on his head? Not just a crown, many crowns. In their day, and really in our day too, when a king has many crowns upon his head, what does this mean that he is? He's the ruler of an empire. He's a global nobility, not just one. He has many crowns upon his head. He has a sword coming out of his mouth. He has a vesture dipped in blood. He's on a white horse. He's got his army with him there. He's a mighty warrior, and he's coming to take his place. Hmm. Oh, I want to be there. Don't you, Lucky? Does this get you excited? This gets me awfully excited. I'm trying to get him wound up a little bit. Yes, amen. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. He and he that treadeth the winepresses, the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. If you, if you want to be sure what you're hearing here, with his sword, he's not making peace. He's smiting. With his rod, he's not showing peace, love, and harmony. He's conquering. You need to be clear of that. I heard someone say just this week, he said, many Christians have the wrong posture. I thought, Man, that's a great way to put it. We're not weaklings, and we're not on the losing side. We're more than conquerors through him. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Man. Let me give you a word that I used in the early 90s as an eight-year-old boy. This right here is bad to the bone. <laughs> I know that's not proper and good manners and all of that, but isn't it? He's got it right on his leg there, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You don't write something like that unless you're sure. I like going through construction zones. They always have these signs out that say men at work. There better not be any weaklings in that bunch, right? Because these are men working here. I was teaching Thomas yesterday how to use power tools. 
And what did I teach you? I always say after you finish using a power tool. Yeah. <laughs> Tim the tool man, right? <laughs> and I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. Now that's going to be an important verse when we get to the end of the chapter in Luke. Because what's the angel telling these, these birds to come do? Eat. Feast. You want, you want to eat on some dead meat? Well, Jesus is about to slay many, and you can come and eat. That you may eat the flesh of the kings, the flesh of the captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and them that sit upon them, and the flesh of all men, both free, both bond, small, great. And I saw the beasts of the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat upon the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were killed with their flesh. Just go to verse 10 of chapter 20. i got to get off this part of it here. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever And what do we say to that? Amen. Because they sure do torture the church day and night, forever and ever. But the day's coming when that tide's going to turn, where Christ will reign, where the church will be victorious. It's going to be good. Mm. So back to R.C. Sproul. We won't need a press report. That's what Jesus is saying here in Luke chapter 17. The lightning will light up the whole sky. The blaze of glory that will attend to his return will be so great that not even the Pharisees will be able to miss it. Now that's finishing the sprawl quote there. I thought that was a nice little jab he gave them there. They're pretty good at missing some things while they were so focused on some other things. Do you ever do that? Do you ever put your Bible goggles on and you can only see certain things and you're missing a lot of other things? Verse 25, Jesus gives them then the prerequisite for this. He says, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. This is where we, these type of verses are where we get the modern Christian thinking about cross-bearing is the prerequisite to crown-wearing. Before crowns, there must be crosses. So before his second coming, before the kingdom is fully established, Jesus would be rejected. He would suffer many things by this generation. Or just simply this, in addition to that, before he could return, he must leave. Verse 26 through 30, then we get the conditions for this. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage. Until the day that Noah entered into the ark, the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, also as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So to explain what the time of his second coming will be like. So this is Jesus answering that first question. Verse number 20, he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come. He gives the Pharisees one answer, but he says to his disciples this very thing. He says, look, it's going to be just like it was in the days of Noah, just like it was in the days of Lot. As Noah prepared for the ark, with, or for the flood with the ark, these people around him, they continued their daily routines. They ate, they drank, they married. 
Noah gets on the ark, the rains come, and everybody except Noah and his family perish without warning. In Lot's day, people carried out normal routines of life. Then one day, Lot left the cities, and God rained down fire upon Sodom and Gomorrah. And those cities vanished from the earth. What is Jesus' point? Yes, he is making the point that this will be a tremendous apocalyptic event. Don't, don't think I'm not telling you that. But what I want you to see, and a good application for the modern church from this passage, and it was a great application for the Pharisees and his disciples then, most people will be unprepared when this happens. I think that's Luke's communication to us here by recording this story and giving it to us. Faithfulness is a life lesson. Forgiveness is a life lesson. Thankfulness is a life lesson. But so is preparedness. This is followed with a warning in verse 31 through 33. In that day, he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. You get that working around in your head there. Our houses are not quite like that anymore, but patio on the housetop. These things begin to happen. Jesus says he shouldn't, he shouldn't try to go to his stuff. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. You're out working in the field. These things begin to happen. You shouldn't try to get back to the house. Why? Remember Lot's wife. What happened with Lot's wife? She, she was fleeing with her family from Sodom and Gomorrah, and she turned back. You can attribute a lot of things to the draw for her to turn back, but she turned back, and she turned into a pillar of salt. This is the instruction that Jesus gives us here in regards to when he comes. And things get bad. Time is of the essence. In fact, only those prepared will truly be ready. When we think about Locke's life, there, there'll be no time for us to turn back. I love Spurgeon here. He said she was almost saved, but not quite. That's deep, isn't it? Temporal attachments will be detrimental at this time. Verse 33, whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. Whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. Church, what belongings are we clinging to in this fallen world? What sins do our hearts still long to commit? Jesus warns here against having a sinful selfish attachment to worldly things, including all the things that we know we should leave behind, but we still hold on to. On the other hand, whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. If we give ourselves away, if we commit our whole lives to Jesus Christ, our time, our talent, our service to others, then we'll get to keep our lives forever. Riken says people may think we are crazy for doing it, But when we let go of what earth has to offer, we gain only what heaven has to give. Jim Elliott, famous quote in that same regard, he said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot gain, or gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Sproul said, Some people are so tied to the things of this world that their commitment to Christ is not certain. The time to get that settled is now and not at the last second. Verse 34 through 37, then, this chapter ends with judgment. I tell you that in that night, 
There shall be two men in one bed, the one shall be taken, the other be left. Two women shall be grinding together, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Two men shall be in the field, the one shall be taken, the other left. And they answered and said unto him, Where, Lord? And he said unto them, Wheresoever the body is, thither will the eagles be gathered together. When Jesus returns, there will be a separation of those committed to Christ and those not. And he's specific here on the closeness of those divided in this judgment. He says, those who sleep under the same roof will be divided in this judgment. He says, those who work side by side every day will be divided in this judgment. In our day, we must come to understand this to mean it's not good enough for us to say, well, it's those inside the church and those outside the church, because that's not the, the, the tense Jesus puts it in here. He said, no, it's those of you right here under the same roof. You live together, you work together, you attend worship services together. One of you is saved and the other is not. So we must examine ourselves today and determine our preparedness for the return of the Lord because tomorrow could be too late. Donald Gray Barnhouse told the story of a man he went to visit in a Philadelphia hospital Dr. Barnhouse heard that the man was dying, and since he knew that the man was not a Christian, he wanted one last chance to give him the gospel. Even on his deathbed, the man showed little concern for his eternal destiny. Dr. Barnhouse decided that the situation called for drastic measures. So he asked the man if he could stay in his room through the night. And when the man asked why, he pulled up a chair and said, because I've never seen a man die without Christ. And suddenly the man realized that he was not nearly as ready to die as he thought he was. And by the time their conversation was over, he prayed to receive Christ as his Savior. What about your preparedness? There's a final question given in verse 37. As they answered and said, Where, Lord? And he gives the answer that we found in Revelation 19. Wheresoever the body is thither. The eagles will be gathered together. Jesus says, there's going to be this great separation. Where? He said, well, you go find the dead bodies. Go find those judged where the birds are circling and feasting. That'll be where. This brings a finality to it, doesn't it? A seriousness to it. So these are the life lessons that we get from Luke 17. Faithfulness. Forgiveness, thankfulness, and preparedness. Where are you in your preparedness this morning? We often put our hope and our faith in lots of different things. But in the end, it's only faith in Christ that will matter. By God's grace alone, may you take faith alone and Christ alone, according to the Scriptures alone, for the glory of God alone. Let's stand and pray together. Father, we are glorying this morning in the facts of the return of Christ. What a a wonderful day. But Lord, as we think about it, it is sobering to consider that not even everyone right here today will be on the right side of that. 
So, Lord, as we go through this life trying to be faithful, trying to be forgiving, trying to be thankful, Lord, help us to see that unless we are prepared, all of the rest of this is in vain. So may we examine ourselves this morning and be ready. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pianist is going to play. Let's bow and just take some time and examine ourselves as we respond to the word of God given to us today.